Would you please bow with me in prayer and we'll study the Word of God together. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we just are so grateful once again that we can worship you, that we can honor you, that we can give glory to you through our songs, through your Word, the teaching of your Word, both here and uh, in the greenhouse and in the junior, senior, high class. We, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in each of our lives, for the way you are changing us, directing us. Lord, thank you for your son's sacrifice on our behalf, that he satisfied your justice so that sin and death could be taken care of and so that we could have eternal life so that we could be a part of your family by simply putting our trust in Jesus, not in ourselves or religion or in religious rituals of some sort, but in Jesus. If there's even one here, Father, who has yet to trust him, either in the first service or this service, we pray, Father, that you will, through your Spirit, draw them to yourself. For those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, I pray that we are growing every day, every week, every month, every year, more like Him. So that we can be distinguished from the world. And we can be witnesses to your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Famous last words. Uh, we like to know what are the last words that people say before they enter into eternity. We think that it tells us a little bit of something about them and perhaps about life. So I thought I'd share a few with you this morning. Beethoven said this on his deathbed, Friends, applaud. The comedy is over. So I guess we know what he thought of his life. Humphrey Bogart said, I should have never switched from scotch to martinis. John Barrymore said, Die, I should say not, dear fellow. No Barrymore would allow such a conventional thing to happen to him. Interesting last words. Last words of Winston Churchill. I'm bored with it all. And one more. The last words of Grammarian, legendary, according to this website, legendary French grammarian, Dominique Bouors, I think is the way you say his name, I am about to, or I am going to die, either expression is correct. <laughs> Don't you love that? A grammarian on their deathbed. Well, the reason I use that to introduce our message this morning is because in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, we have the last words of Jesus before his ascension, before he is taken up into heaven. He has already conquered death. He has already resurrected from the dead. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, we have his last words to his disciples before his ascension. These are his last words before his ascension. 
It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the teaching that Jesus wanted to leave with His disciples before he has ascended into heaven it's what he wanted his disciples and through them what he wanted us to know is important during this age we call the church age what is it that we should be about what is our one message what is the most important thing that you can do that i can do as believers in jesus christ what is it jesus said it's to witness is to witness. To tell others what we've seen and heard and experienced in Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing for us. That's the thing that Jesus cared most about. That's what He wanted to communicate to His disciples that they might understand that they would be witnesses. See, they were concerned, as we saw last week in the passage we looked at, they were concerned about the kingdom. They were still thinking about the millennial kingdom, that time when Christ would reign on earth for a thousand years. That's what their thinking was. That time when God would set up that kingdom, which was a, a Jewish kingdom, led by Jerusalem, led by Jesus from Jerusalem. That's what was on their minds. They were thinking about the kingdom. Now, that's important. The kingdom's important. And I'm not trying to say that the kingdom is not important. But Jesus is trying to show them that there's something that's going to happen first before the kingdom is set up. He's trying to redirect their thinking. He's trying to redirect their concern. They're concerned with knowing the times and the dates. Jesus is trying to say, it's not the times or dates of the millennial kingdom that you should be concerned about, but rather, you should be concerned about being my witnesses. You should be concerned about being my witnesses. Their concern was narrowed to the nation of Israel. Now, the nation of Israel is important. They are God's chosen people. And we should honor them for that reason. But their concern was for the nation of Israel. Do you see what Jesus' concern is in verses 7 and 8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria. Wait a second, we're getting outside of Israel now. And to the ends of the earth. Their concern was about dates and times. Their concern was about Israel, where Jesus is trying to redirect their concerns so that they would be concerned not just about Israel, but concerned for the world. they would be concerned for the world. 
Jesus shares this with them. Verse 8 begins with the word but, and in Greek that's a strong adversative. What does that mean? It simply means that Jesus is making a strong contrast between where their thinking was and between where he wanted their thinking to be. Their thinking was narrowed to Israel. Their thinking was narrowed to dates and times of the millennial kingdom. All important things. But Jesus is trying to give a strong contrast here and say, but what I want you to be concerned with is I want you to be concerned with being my witnesses. I want you to be concerned with reaching out to the entire world, not just to one nation. As one of the commentators on this passage said, this is the great theme of the church. We call it the Great Commission. Every one of the Gospels has a Great Commission. This is the book of Acts. This is the Great Commission. The last thing that Jesus had to share with His disciples before He was taken up into heaven in the ascension. The Great Commission, the Great theme of the church is to witness to Jesus Christ. To witness to Jesus Christ. For you and for me to tell what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have experienced in Jesus Christ. I shared with you last week at the conclusion of our message last week that G. Campbell Morgan said that the one mission of the church was making Christ known. That's it. The one mission of the church is making Christ known. Now, by the way, not just by the staff of the church, not just by the elders of the church, not just by the leadership of the church, but is to be, we are all to be witnesses, every one of us. Every believer is a witness. Morgan goes on, The one mission of the church is making Christ known, and this is accomplished by the witness of all of her members, not just some. The test question, he said, and this is where we finished last week, the test question for each of us is, how far am I living, thinking, speaking, doing, so that the Lord may be seen and heard and known. That's the measure of your life and in my life. That's the measure by which we judge our lives. That's the measure by which we judge whether the church is doing its job. How far am I? Not somebody else, not the leadership of the church, not the staff of the church, but how far am I living? My thinking my speaking, my doing, how far am I living so that the Lord may be seen and heard and known? That's what was on Jesus' heart before He was ascended into heaven. That's what He thought was so important that those were His last words to the disciples before His ascension into heaven. That we would be His witnesses J. Vernon McGee said, this is not given only to a corporate body, to the church as a body. In other words, it's not a command given 
to us as a group or the church as a corporate body, but as he says, it is not a corporate commission. This is a very personal command to each believer personally, privately. So, so don't think to yourself, well, that's the mission of the church. That's what the church has to do. And those people who are interested in sharing their faith, they'll do it and that'll be fine and we'll be good. Uh, you know, that's why churches have Tuesday night visitation. The problem is, you and I are supposed to be seven day a week witnesses. Not just Tuesday night or whatever night may be that the church, not just when the church puts together a, 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 a evangelistic program. You know what God's evangelistic program is? It's you. That's God's evangelistic program. It's you and it's me. That's his evangelistic program. What do we witness to? We witness to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. What has God done for you? If we had time, oh, what testimonies I bet we could hear if we had time about what God has done. We witness that God has conquered sin and death. God has conquered sin and death. Have we become so used to that 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 doesn't mean much to us anymore? God has conquered sin and death. Can you believe that? Death's been all around us this past year, hasn't it? Everywhere you turn. You can't open the newspaper. For those of who, who remember what a newspaper is. <laughs> you can't go on the internet. You can't turn on your TV without seeing all the COVID cases and all the deaths in America, almost 500,000 deaths in America. Death is all around us. Have we been, become so used to knowing that we have victory over death because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ that it doesn't mean that much to us? Do you know how much it means to the people around us? Do you know how much it means to the people in our society who don't have the hope that you have and the hope that I have in Jesus Christ? What a message. What a message. We witness to the fact that God has conquered sin and death. Wow! That those who have put their faith in Him, those who have put their trust in Him, need never worry ever about death. We know that the moment we close our eyes here, for whatever reason, the moment we are done here, we will open them in the presence of God. Whoa! Let's just keep that to ourselves, okay? You know I'm being facetious. I hope you know I'm being facetious. We witness that Jesus Christ conquered sin. He conquered death. He was buried. He was dead, buried, but he was raised to life on the third day. He was raised to life 
the first fruits raised to life. We know that he conquered sin, he defeated death, and we know that he was seen. They saw him, they touched him, they ate with him, they heard him. He was seen by Peter. He was seen by the twelve. He was seen by more than 500. He was seen by James, his half-brother. We are witnesses to that. We are witnesses to that. And, and what a witness does is to tell what we've seen and what we've heard. That's what a witness does. It's not complicated. We don't have to have a course in a seminary in evangelism to do it. We just need to be willing to tell. We just need to be willing to tell. And Jesus said that they were to tell what they had seen and heard. They were to wait for the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But think about it. How important it was for them to understand that God would empower them to do this. I think that's where you and I get jammed up a little bit. I think that's where you and I get jammed up a little bit. We don't realize that we have at our disposal the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to share our faith with those around us. And so out of fear, out of thinking we don't know enough, out of a myriad of reasons, you can call them excuses if you like, or reasons, I don't care, that we can't share. Jesus promises here the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But they were to wait. Jesus told the disciples to wait, to wait for the enablement of the Holy Spirit, to wait to the, for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Why? They would be facing a tremendously hostile culture. Jews and Gentiles alike would hate them and their message. A hostile culture was common to them, and they understood that. How is it that we seem to not think about that today? Your witness and my witness is not hampered by a hostile culture. People may hate our Lord and hate the truth of the Bible, but your witness and my witness is not hampered by a hostile culture. They were to wait for the enablement of the Holy Spirit because they would be facing a hostile culture. They were to wait for the enablement of the Holy Spirit because they lived in a culture where there were a myriad of false gods represented by idols. Idols which featured sexual immorality. Idols which promised agricultural success. We still have idols today. They may not be made out of 
metal and wood and stone in the same way as they were made in that day. But there are still those who promise you fulfillment through sexual activity, which cannot fulfill in that way. There are those who offer success apart from a Savior. There's still those using sex, those promising success. We witness to a God. We tell what we have seen and heard. We witness to a God who has taken care of sin and death, who gives real meaning to life. Sometimes we make wrong assumptions about witnessing. Sometimes we make wrong assumptions about witnessing. Sometimes we make wrong assumptions about what witnessing has to do with. We think, well, I, I don't know how to defend the faith. I don't know enough of apologetics. I don't know enough of the defense of the faith. Until I know more about defending the faith, I can't witness. I may not be able to answer a question. Welcome to the club. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, a non-Christian can always come up with a question you didn't think about. And it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't mean that what you believe isn't true. It just means you haven't encountered that question. So be honest with them. Tell them, you know, what a great question. I've been a Christian for so many years. I've studied the Bible for so many years and I don't know the answer. I've never gotten that question. But you know what I'll do? I'll find you the answer. I'll find you the answer. So, so folks, you don't need to have taken a course in apologetics in order to witness. I, one of my absolute favorite writers is Eugene Peterson. And I like Eugene Peterson for many reasons, but most of all because he is one of the few Christian writers that actually makes a Christian think. Oh man, there are, so, there are a lot of Christian books out there, aren't there? So few of them make you and me think. It's the latest what be happening technique. I'm sorry. That's the way I feel about it. That's my, you don't have to agree with me. But there are so few Christian writers that make you think. Oswald Chambers is one. Eugene Peterson is one. There are others. But he said this, the proper work for the Christian is witness, not apology. The proper work of the Christian is witness, not apology. Let, let me tell you what happens. If you put your eggs in the basket of apologetics, if you put your eggs in the basket of defense of the faith, you will answer every question a non-believer has, and they will still look at you and say, but I still don't believe. I know. It's happened. I 
love that Peterson makes us think when he says the proper work for the Christian is witness, not apology. And then he cites Psalm 124 as an excellent model. He says this, Psalm 124 does not argue God's help. It does not explain God's help. It is a testimony of God's help in the form of a song. The song is so vigorous, so confident, so bursting with what can only be called reality that it fundamentally changes our approach and our questions. No longer does it seem of the highest priority to ask, why did this happen to me? Why do I feel left in the lurch? Instead... We ask, how does it happen that there are people who sing with such confidence that God is our help? How is it that people sing with such confidence? You don't need... Apologetics is good. Don't get me wrong. You, you know, who moved the stone? You know, that's a good book to read. There are more than I can even think about today to share with you books on apologetics. There's nothing wrong with them. They're good. But if you think that that's all it takes, if you think that will answer every unbeliever's objection, you and I are wrong. Because it doesn't. But what an unbeliever can't answer is the change that's come into your life and my life. They cannot answer that. Oh, they'll come up with excuses. I had people tell me I was brainwashed. Hallelujah for the brainwashing. No, I didn't seek the changes that came into my life. I couldn't even believe the changes that came into my life. I've shared with you before, I... After being a believer for about a year or so, I'm sitting in a prayer meeting. A prayer meeting? That's not where I spent my life before then. I'm sitting in a prayer meeting and we're singing these old hymns. And I'm happy to be there. And I think it's glorious. And I'm thinking to myself, how did I get from there to there? How did that happen? Because God changed me. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, He changed you. And people can answer your apologetic arguments, but they can't answer your life. They can't answer your life. Peterson said in another place, if God's business is deliverance and salvation, our business is witness and praise. Another wrong assumption that you and I make is this. I can't witness if I don't know the bridge illustration or the Roman road. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about with the Roman road and the bridge illustration? Nothing wrong with those. Those are great illustrations of what it means to be saved. The bridge is nothing more than a chasm. You, you draw this for people on a napkin. That's the usual way, right? <laughs> You draw a chasm and then you talk about the distance between God and humankind and then 
you draw the cross in the chasm and show how God bridged that chasm by the death of his son on Calvary's cross. It's a great illustration. Roman road. What's the first verse? Romans 3.23, all have and fall short of the glory of God. What's the second verse? Romans 6.23, the wages of is death, but the gift of God is through Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8, it's the third verse, but God commended His own love toward us in this, that while we were yet Christ In Romans 10, 9, and 10, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that He raised from the dead, we will be saved. That's a paraphrase. Now you've heard the Roman road and the bridge illustration. You got it, right? But that's my point. You don't have to know those things. You just have to be willing to share what God has changed in your life. A third assumption, wrong assumption, that I think we make about witnessing is I still have things to work on in my life. I'm not perfect, so I can't share. Folks, if you're going to wait till you're perfect, you will never open your mouth for Christ. Ever. Neither will I. Neither will I, because we are not perfect. We will not be perfect until we are in God's presence. Now, let me say quickly here, that's the key, that's the message, that's the commission that you and I have to be witnesses. But see, God promises to make our witness effective. Look at verse 8 again of chapter 1 of, book, of the book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You see, God promises to make our witness effective. Don't worry about it. Trust God. Trust the Spirit of God to pave the way. That's Jesus' encouragement to you and to me that our witness will be effective. Power here simply means empowerment or enablement through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Power, as one writer said, to communicate, to be clear, to be convincing. For the hearers to be open and receptive. It's not all on you. It's not all on me. As one application, as one devotional writer made application saying this power that the Holy Spirit is not limited to strength beyond the ordinary, it involves courage. Boldness, confidence, insight, ability, and authority. That's the power the Holy Spirit will give you and me in our lives that will be courageous, that will be bold, that will have confidence, that will have insight, that will have ability, and that will share with authority. It takes spiritual enablement to communicate the gospel effectively and God promises that to you and to me. So what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be... Are you afraid to say it? Are you even afraid to say the word? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be... 
work on that till next week, will you? <laughs> and and we'll, we'll try it again then. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the enablement, empowerment of the Holy Spirit who empowers our witness, who makes our words understandable to those who are dead in trespasses and sin, who need the Savior. We have a culture right now, Lord, that is obsessed with death. Help us to be those who witness to the power of a Savior and a gospel that saves from death. In Jesus' name, amen.